Hello again. This is the second episode of In the Woods with Dogs. And spoiler alert, I say in my third episode that this is the second episode. Um, So that'll be a little confusing when that releases next week. I decided after I recorded that episode that I was going to actually wait a week and put that one out third and do this one second. Um, This episode is the first part of my About Me Um, For those of you who don't know me and my history and how I got here, um, I'll talk a little bit about how I got started as a dog trainer and the businesses that I've run, um, a very brief overview of the dogs that I have now and have had in the past and how they um, contributed to my learning as a dog trainer. Um, On this episode with me is Keely uh, Lindler. She is my client and good friend and she's kind of the background behind the scenes gal for this podcast. Um, It was her who helped me get it started, um, brainstormed ideas with me, found this app that makes it very easy to put episodes out and she kind of keeps me in check when I want to very impulsively record a bunch of episodes randomly with no schedule at all. Um, She also really wants me to start keeping my episodes to an hour or less and I don't think that's possible Um, but she came on this episode with me to keep me in check and keep me under an hour and to just kind of help the conversation flow a little bit more so that's who you'll hear with me Um, but we'll probably do another part to this because there's still so much I could say about how I got to where I am um We'll talk a little bit, I think, in another part about how my training style has evolved. Um, And we may even go into another part where I go a little more in-depth about the dogs that I have and and how they have helped me become who I am. So, I hope you enjoy this episode. I think because I know I have to like talk about myself. It's different than talking about a topic. But okay, well, this is me and Keely, and we are doing my about me episode. So the people that don't know me can. She's making me do it. She's forcing me to do it. Keely is in charge of this podcast because I make poor decisions about putting out content in weird. Why is that guy looking at us? Probably because we're just sitting in this truck being weird. Um. A person just drove by and was staring at us. We just got done with group training, and so we are just sitting in the truck uh, after group training and recording my About Me episode that Keely said I have to do because people don't know me, Yeah. but I said people do, and she said we have to do a short little blurb, so. So we are. So we are. Um, so my name is Hannah Halverson, and... <laughs> I am the owner of Common Ground Canine, um, based out of Harris, Minnesota. Um, And I have been training dogs for seven-ish years. I don't really have like an official start date. I kind of just woke up one day and was like, I'm a dog trainer now. (laughs) And that was it. Um, But I think it's about, I, I usually base it off of when I got Amos because he was kind of the inspiration for me wanting to become a dog trainer. And that's when I started learning about dog training. Um, and so that's just, I don't, I don't know the first day that I took a paying client. I don't know the first day that I felt like I knew enough to be considered a dog trainer. Um, truthfully, probably I didn't know enough to be considered a real dog trainer until like three years into already being a professional <laughs> dog trainer. Um, but seven-ish years. Um, okay, so actually you answered two of the questions I had. Okay. So it was like, how did you get into training dogs? And yep. you said Amos. Yep. And then what dog made you get, is there a dog that made you get into training? And you also yeah. said Amos. So I consider Amos my gateway dog because I really just got him, like I grew up with dogs. I think most dog trainers did. I grew up with dogs, grew up loving animals, um, got Amos, 
because I was finally in a position as an adult to get a dog and he was really easy like he didn't have any major behavioral issues he didn't he already had really good obedience um neutral around people neutral around dogs we could go to dog parks and have no issues he was just patio dog like instantaneously perfect dog and I just started learning about well when I was younger my dad and I would talk a lot about dogs because he likes dogs um, my mom, when uh, when Dog Whisperer came out, my mom and I would watch Dog Whisperer together um, and say what you want about that show. But, like, that was pretty much what gave me the picture of, like, oh, dog trainers mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. Um, and this is what it looks like to be a dog trainer for somebody. And so I knew I needed to train my dogs. My, both my parents, my parents are split, but both my parents had their own dogs and they were always really well behaved and they put a lot of emphasis on making sure the dogs were well behaved so I knew my dog needed to be good but because my dog was so perfect I didn't really have to do anything and so I kind of like created things like any little tiny thing that Amos did wrong I was like oh I gotta train him and it got to the point where I was looking into training and, and learning about it and I truly enjoyed it but I didn't really have anything to work on with my dog And some people say that they get into dog training because they had a difficult dog and they hired trainers and enjoyed that. I had the opposite experience. I had a really good dog and nowhere to put that training knowledge. Um, So I started volunteering with rescues in a super casual setting. I basically just went into a Facebook group that, I don't know if it still exists, but it used to be How to Help Minnesota Dogs in Need. And it was kind of just a general rescue focused group it wasn't specifically for one organization um and I just posted in there like a naive little 20 something and I was like I'll train your foster dogs for free and everyone was like hell yeah and they didn't care that I had no experience they didn't care that I had no idea what I was doing they just needed help and they needed free help and so I got a lot of hands-on experience doing that Um, and at the time, because I got Amos from a rescue organization at the time, I was very rescue focused. So that was very important to me that I was able to help the rescues. Um, and so I was good enough that, you know, I did make an impact and I was smart enough to know not to take on anything that I shouldn't be taking on. Um, but I definitely did get into some behavior mod there and that was good for me because I finally had somewhere to put that knowledge. Right. Um, And then it just got to the point where I was getting so many requests. I was still working full-time at an animal hospital. I was getting so many requests for that that I had to put a dollar amount on it. Right. And that's kind of when I started my business. Okay. Two questions. Mm Mm-hmm. If Amos wouldn't have been so easy, if he would have been difficult, do you think he would have gone, like, the traditional route like most people do and seek out another trainer or still tried to learn and train I think I would have done it myself. Because my parents never had trainers growing up. Like, it just wasn't a thing that we hired dog trainers. Right. And both my parents are pretty just intuitively good with dogs. Like, they know what they need to do. Um, and I think I am, too. I think just, like, I am a good dog person. Yeah, some people it just comes natural. Yeah, and some people it comes natural, but they still seek out help me because they're smart. And they know that they should at least check with somebody else to make sure they're doing the right thing. I'm very like, I'll just do it myself and figure it out as I go. Um, and a lot of people do do that and are successful. And then some people just are self-aware enough to know that they need help right out of the gates. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I would have... Um, I don't think I would have probably ever hired a dog trainer if I didn't become a dog trainer, trainer myself. Yeah. Like I probably would have just been a dog owner. But able to train your old dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you were volunteering at the rescue organization places, is there a dog that you were working with and you were like, Oh gosh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah. I have two that I remember specifically. Yeah. Um, I had, there was one dog named Letty and it was just a weird situation and I might not even get the story right for For one, I wasn't involved in the whole story. I just got brought in as the dog trainer. And then for two, as many years ago. So I don't remember it perfectly. But basically, the story goes, this dog was in a shelter somewhere, Wisconsin maybe. And some just like regular people, they weren't like with a specific organization, somehow managed to pull this dog from a a shelter 
and they didn't have a foster lined up so she went into boarding and they knew she needed training help because she was showing at least at the very least reactivity towards other dogs and um, she was a bully breed mix and so she was in boarding and they needed they brought me in to help with the, the training while she was there to increase her chances of getting into a foster or adopter home but then while I was working with that dog another trainer reached out to me and was like I see that you're you know she saw in Facebook groups that I was working with this dog and she was like so I was actually supposed to like my the rescue I work with was supposed to pull that dog from the shelter but then when we went to go get her she was already gone and this person had already this trainer had already kind of like mentally and emotionally invested into this dog and like helping her so she kind of took over and I was like this is my client yeah. and I was getting paid like a tiny bit but they right. couldn't it, it was just the two women that were paying me out of pocket to help um but that wasn't it it was more just like I'm good I don't need help right and i most definitely did I just didn't know at the time right. that I needed help <laughs> um and so she kind of swooped in and she just kind of like took them from me and it I got to you know I learned a lot she let me come and shadow the classes but she would like have somebody else handle the dog and that was just like my first kind of experience with just like how weird dog world can kind of be and so that was just like a hard situation to navigate because I was a professional technically but I didn't really have a reputation as a professional so I couldn't really stand up on like nobody would do that to me now right nobody would ever step in into my space and be like I'm just gonna take this dog client yep. from you yeah like that is actually mine um so that was a that was one where I was like wow that was a lot for me being like less than a year into being a dog trainer right um and then the other one was this woman has a rescue now, but at the time she was just fostering for other rescues and she lived kind of in a rural area and she had like nine dogs, which at the time was like, holy shit, that's a lot of dogs. But now that's how many dogs I have, <laughs> um, and horses and llamas and, and all this stuff. And, and she had this one, I don't even remember that dog's name, just like really beat up, like a reservation dog had been shot a few times, just like creaky not built right crabby little dog with some serious aggression and that was a hard one for me to navigate and that this was both of these were kind of the turning point when I was like okay you need to maybe just like start a business and, and start charging people because people were not taking me seriously as a volunteer yeah um and so I would go into this woman's home to train this dog she asked me to come there but then she wouldn't take any of my advice because she was older than me. She had been involved in dog rescue longer than I had, but I was the one saying I'm the dog trainer and that was kind of hard to navigate. And then why that one really stood, stood out to me is there was an incident with the dog and her child that wasn't bad, but could have been. And it was enough for her to say, we're going to put this dog down. And I found out after the fact. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was not pro behavioral euthanasia. Like I was very naive and thinking all dogs you know can be fixed right. um and it so it upset me a lot and I was like why didn't you consult me I'm your trainer and she was like uh <laughs> yeah not your decision to make and that was just another one where I was like okay I that's like a big lesson that I needed to learn but also um you need to stop working with rescues. <laughs> like you need to stop <laughs> for a while. Like you need to stop working with rescues. You need to stop volunteering your time. It's time to like gear it up. And if and those two incidences wouldn't have happened had you for one. Now in hindsight, I can look back and say they wouldn't have happened if I had more experience. Right. Um, but I needed those experiences. But also, they wouldn't have happened if I was like a business. And so those were turning points for me of like yeah, you should have done that a little differently. So like when people come to me and they're like, how do you, did you get started? How should I get started? I'm like, so this is what I did. I volunteered with rescues. It's not the wrong thing to do, but guard your heart a little bit more because, uh, it, it did suck sometimes to have to like, those were some hard cases yeah, that, sure. and I wasn't involved in those decisions because right. I was just volunteering. Yep. You know, they didn't take me as the authority and that yep. like nowadays, people at least give me a head like people 
I've had clients who I've worked with in the past that they come to the turn, you know, they come to the decision on their own to euthanize their pet, but they at least like tell me because they you. know I care, right? And they know that I'm not going to fight them. I mean, I would if I really thought it was a bad decision, but um, or I'm at least consulted on it. And even if I haven't seen the, that client in years, they involve me in that conversation um, because they know that I care, and so they respect my they respect my compassion more instead of just like expecting it as a default. Do you think that with those two different clients when you first started working that they maybe didn't think you cared as much because you were volunteering? Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they didn't want to, they didn't let I you think, know about their yeah. decisions. And I think they thought they were doing it for me. You know, like I think they felt like they were helping mostly, you out. Yeah. But they were like, Oh, she wants experience. She's not asking for any money. So she, yeah, she can come and play dog trainer with my dog. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm a dog trainer. Right. I'm doing this for real. So that was a big thing for me. Um, as far as like dogs that I worked with that I learned like major lessons from in dog training, nobody really stands out. Like it was all pretty standard. It's probably exactly the same kind of clients that I see nowadays, just different contexts. Cause those dogs were in fosters yeah. homes and not in their adoptive homes. Um, so when you stopped volunteering at rescues, what was the next step then? When you were like, no, this needs to be serious, get it into gear, then what did you do? Yep. So I was also starting to get clients from like word of mouth from those people would tell their neighbors of or their course. friends or whatever. And yep. so that's part of why I started charging too is because I'm like, well, those dogs are not rescue dogs. Yeah. Um, but then I just like, at that point it was like, okay, make an LLC, make a website, make a Facebook page and just start telling people. And my friends just spread the word. I've always been successful with just straight up word of mouth. Like I'm on, you can find me on Google. Like I right. get a lot of clients that when I say, how'd you find me? They say, oh, we just searched dog trainers and we right. found you and we liked your website. Um, but I've never really paid for ads. I've never really paid for promotion. There, I, there have been times where I've like printed out flyers and gone and hung up flyers on bulletin boards and stuff, but I never really got a ton of business from that. Um, and so I stopped investing in that and it's all been word of mouth. Um, it did help for a while. So I've actually had three separate businesses since I became a dog trainer. There's my initial business when I started was loyal friend dog training and when I worked at the animal hospital, I would do it super part-time. And I got to a point working at the animal hospital, I was just a receptionist there. I shouldn't say just, that's also a very hard job, but I was a receptionist there. And I think I worked there for a little under two years. And it was a good job because I was able to, like I'd be at home reading and watching videos and learning. Like I specifically remember this two-part video on YouTube that I remember having just like massive aha moments about dog body language. Yeah. And like, rem I remember exactly how it felt to be like, oh my God, a lick lip, you know, like I didn't know that. And will I? And like, I knew all this stuff. And then I'd go to work and I would see the dogs in the lobby lick lipping, right. lip licking, um, whale eyeing and, you know, showing reactivity. I didn't know about reactive dogs because we, that wasn't like a thing when I was a kid. Yeah. We didn't really talk about that. Um, and Amos wasn't reactive. So I didn't, you know, I would learn about dog reactivity. And I remember one little like weird, um, newbie annoying thing that I used to do was all the dogs that were labeled as dog aggressive in their system. I would change it to dog reactive. <laughs> <laughs> you just like, wanted to put your knowledge somewhere. Yeah, like, they're not aggressive. They're just reactive and not all reactive dogs are aggressive. And so, but I would go to work and I get to see it all happen right in front of me. And so that's how it clicked as fast as it did. But I got to a point where I just like, I also naively felt like, like I wasn't a dog trainer when they hired me. And I literally woke up one day, Googled, how do you become a dog trainer? And I was like, oh, you can just be a dog trainer. And I was like, boom, done dog trainer now. And I used to be ashamed to tell that story because I know other dog trainers are like, no, but I'm so far into my career now that it's like, who fucking cares? Yeah. So, um, but I walked into work one day and I was like, I'm a dog trainer. And they were like, okay. And they never took me seriously. And so when I would talk about like, you guys, you know, that dog's so stressed. You should, you need to stop manhandling him for his nail trims. And I'd like 
you know, just be a brat about it. Or I would talk to clients about, like, we sold gentle leaders and just, like, easy walks. And just, like, little, we had a little retail area. And I would talk to them about, like, how to condition the gentle leader and all this stuff. And, like, try to get people to switch from prongs to gentle leaders. And my manager had to pull me aside one day and be like, when you're here, you're a receptionist. You are not a dog trainer. And I remember being like, she should be so lucky that she has somebody with this much knowledge on her staff. Meanwhile, there's people that went to, like, literally four years of college. And have been working in that field for decades. And I'm like, but I just became a dog trainer and I'm smart. And I probably was smarter behavior-wise than a lot of those vets, to be honest. Great people. Not very smart as far as behavior goes. But still. So, I quit that job and... I knew that I could make money training dogs, but it was not consistent enough that that was really a good move to do so impulsively. And so to backpedal, I started walking dogs because that is a much more um, predictable income and steady, stable income because you can actually work Monday through Friday doing that. And you get clients, repeat clients, like you see the same dogs Monday through Friday. And that's another place where I really grew as a dog trainer because I was handling more dogs. That weren't yours, too. Yeah, and with nobody around. It was just me. So I learned a lot from that experience. So that was Loyal Friend. And then I met a girl named Mary, and we became friends. She was also a dog walker. She's from Buffalo, New York. Um, She has more experience than me. I think she's about five years ahead of me experience-wise. And I just found her through social media. Um, Back then, Instagram was still kind of new. We didn't even have stories. Um, Facebook groups had kind of just started. And so I found her on Instagram, creeped hard on her. And finally, she we didn't even have DMs back then. (laughs) So she commented on something of mine and said, do you want to go to a dog park or something? And so we met, and, and we just slowly became friends over time. And we had a lot of similar philosophies. Um, We just really hit it off, and we decided to... We basically serviced the same area, and we did the same things. We charged the same amount. We had the same ideas. She was better better than me at the time by a long shot. Um, And we decided to merge our businesses and so we became a new leash and that is where most most people knew me and how um how I really grew my business because we were a new leash for maybe six months before we got a facility in Edina and once you have a facility you just hit a different category of of business because you actually have a, a brick and mortar location and so we did group training or group classes we did uh day camp I did boarding trains out of my home private lessons um and we we did that for two years our lease was three years and we did that for two years and then COVID hit during this time you were getting more dogs on your own though right besides Amos yes yep so Um, tell us what about the dogs you had during that time Okay, so my second dog after Amos was a dog named Finn, and I've learned a lot of things about, I learned a lot of things from that dog, Um, and he was a dog I took in from the animal hospital. He had bitten his owners, and they called, and they were asking questions about doing a rabies quarantine and all that. And, and it turned into like this big all day back and forth deal where they were calling a bunch and we'd call, we'd go find stuff out and call them. And they called, we were going to like try to get the dog in rescue. It was me and another tech that were like really passionate about trying to save this dog's life. And she called back at the end of the day, the owner of Finn at the time. And she said that the city of St. Paul euthanizes dogs for free and sends them out for rabies testing because he had bitten and so they had tried to bring him back to the Humane Society. The Humane Society said that we can't, we have to quarantine him. The state or the city had said same thing, he has to be quarantined, we can't just put him down and he can't just disappear, he can't just whatever. So she was like, we're just going to put him down. And I was like, bring him here, I'll take him. And we were like, 
it was just desperate at that point. Right. And so I got him, and we were going to board him at the vet clinic for a while, and he was just having a really hard time there, so I brought him home, and it became very clear very quickly that the dog was not adoptable, and so I decided to keep him. And I had him for about two years. Oh, that just says the vehicle is going to shut off in 25 seconds. Um, I can override it, though, I guess. So, um... I kept him. I had him for two years. He had very severe generalized anxiety. Um, he just was a very, very scared dog. Um, and he also was just a big bite risk. And so he bit me a lot. Um, most of the time they were just little level one bites. So he would, he'd bite, he'd make contact, but he wouldn't put pressure down. He would never break skin unless I pulled my hand away. Like if I did, if he did break skin, it was just from me retracting my hand against his yeah. teeth. But there were two incidences in those two years where everything that could possibly go wrong in that dog's day went wrong, and he lashed out enough that he, he scraped my arms up pretty bad, and, um, and it was a big deal. And the first time it happened, I was like, well, you know, here's all these things that went wrong, and, and you know, that was kind of my fault, but... It also was, he was so bad, um, you couldn't trim his nails. He had pretty bad allergies that, he had to have had allergies, they were never diagnosed because he was so hard to handle that I couldn't give him, like I couldn't meet his basic needs. Right. So baths were not an option without getting bit. Nail trims were not an option without getting bit. Um, and no matter how much I worked on it, there was not much improvement because it was so severe. And so by the second time he tore me up, I decided that he needed to be put down. And so he was the first dog that I ever had that I put down for behavior. He's the first dog I ever, ever put down at all um, of my own. And that was the dog that I really learned how to read dogs because there were consequences. I would get bit by that dog. Um, so I learned a lot of that body language. Um, I also learned what it's like to live with a dog that you have to walk on eggshells around in your own home. And I have a lot of clients that are in those situations that I don't think I would have been able to support them in the way that I can now because if I had never lived with it. Definitely. So that was the biggest thing from Finn. He was the dog that made me realize that behavioral euthanasia has a place. Um, the reason I took him is because I didn't believe in it. And I'm, I still am glad that I gave him a chance in a new environment um, but he was just very broken. And then my second dog was Roxy, or my third dog was Roxy. And she was also taken in from the animal hospital because she bit somebody. Um, and I'm really glad that I intervened on that. I was so dramatic though. I'll never forget. I, I didn't want the dog to be put down. And I told our medical director that if he euthanized that dog, I'd walk out. <laughs> and I was crying and screaming. I'm like, man... I cannot imagine ever acting like that at work, <laughs> but it's like, it just brings something out of you. Plus I was in my early twenties, so that was part of it too. Um, but so Roxy is a really cool dog. She, I still have her. She's almost eight and she will bite people probably, but she hasn't in a, I mean, she's never bitten anybody, like really bitten anybody since I've had her. And even when she bit the person that they wanted to put her down for I really don't think it was a real bite right they just were not equipped to have the, a dog like her excuse me and I think that's just like a old, old school old school like way of thinking like a dog bites it dies yes and it was the dad's it was a family the dad's dad was in town yeah and he was the one that got bit and he was the one they actually had a wellness appointment scheduled for her it was a Saturday wellness appointment scheduled for her called and canceled it called back an hour or so later made a euthanasia appointment and we were like how did this dog go from being healthy enough to need vaccines to know it's being put down right um and she was like explosively reactive but she's also just like a very energetic dog too um and she's still very energetic but she's super sweet she's not like shady in the sense that like once you're in you're in 
and it only takes like 15 minutes to be in she just has to get over that initial reaction to people and her mo is like she'll run up and muzzle punch people and then throw her head back and bark and the people that she does best with quickest it took me a very long time to learn this um are the people that just don't care right and she actually did worse when i would do really long slow introductions and like try to counter condition it all and so i finally just got to the point this is horrible and i do not advocate for this in any other context i would muzzle her and i would just let her run up on people if they uh, were okay with it if it was somebody that she didn't need not like the plumber you know but like my friends because it would literally be one muzzle punch she'd throw her head back and bark they wouldn't care because she had a muzzle on they'd go sit down on the couch and she'd be over it and then once and then you can pet her you can you could take her for a walk like you are in her circle she's not like you don't have to be careful around her you just gotta be punched you just gotta be punched once and she with with age so she was just under two when i got her with age and maturity and just time and also just like my expectations were so low for her. Right. She just needed to live a happy life. I did not care. For a while, I wanted her to be like my little sport dog when I started learning about dog sports. Um, there was a, a phase in my life where I was like, I'm not a real dog person unless I do sports. And so I was like, she can do sports, she can do sports. So then I did work with another, I did actually go to a training class with her, um, but it was mainly because those I had become friends with those um trainers and they were like take her to her class and take her to a class and I was super nervous because she was very active um and we didn't really get much out of the class but it was just a it was a friendship that I wanted to to uh work with on you know and and grow so I went to the class um but I really thought she was gonna be my little sport dog and I think if I had her like if for some reason I got her now I think I would have gotten her over her reactivity way faster just right. to get more experience. Right. And she t- she totally could be a little sport dog. She would love discs. She would love agility. She would love fly ball. She's super bouncy and energetic and loves to move her body. She's super toy driven. Um, so I learned a lot just like I learned all my tug skills with her. Um, we just had a lot of fun together and she's still a super fun dog. But she, like, she doesn't even muzzle punch people anymore. Lauren, who is in our group training, watched my dogs, just three of my dogs, when I went out of town a couple weeks ago. And she said that I had Ollie and Roxy in the spare bathroom. And she said Roxy barked when she walked in the door, like, walked into the house and Roxy could hear her. But once she opened the door to the bathroom, Roxy didn't care. And they had never met, like never really met. Yeah. They, she had seen Lauren in passing once at the farm, um, but they had never met before. So the fact that Roxy didn't even care, Fair. like she's just changed a ton with age and just being on the farm and she doesn't see a lot of people. Like I just never made her the dog that had to be around people. And I think that helped a lot. And I have the luxury of doing that because I have a dog for like every activity. So yeah. if she can't be the dog to do it, then I'll just do it with somebody else. So that was Roxy. Then I had Ollie. Ollie was a dog walking client's dog. They got a three month old little puppy from the Humane Society. They thought he was a black lab. He's blue and has a big white chest. And they're nice people. Not the right time for them to get a puppy. Yeah. So they hired me for dog walking just to like come let him out a couple times during the day. They lived just up the road from me. And, um, we did a little bit of training, but I was mainly just the dog walker. And then he hit six months old and he got a little naughtier. They also had two preteen daughters that when the novelty wore off, they just didn't really do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so the mom was like, I basically have three kids. This right. is not, why did I do this to myself? Yeah. And he would, you know, grab their shoes and then they'd scream and, um, but he did this thing when he was younger. He'll do it a little now, but when he was younger, he did it a lot. I call it a sassy dinosaur. Um, he's a, a bully breed mix, and they just have different, different unique vocalizations. So he would, he'll steal things. When he was younger, he would steal things. And when you would be like, hey, give me that, he would like back up and do kind of like a stretch slash play bow. Like it wasn't a full play bow. It was kind of like a, hey, don't, like appeasement kind of move. Yeah. But then he would like 
and like shake his head and just kind of like grumble at you. And I recognize that as just being sassy. Like I took this thing. Yeah. But it freaked them out. And part of it was when they thought he was a lab and they started showing pictures to their friends and coworkers and stuff. They were like, like, that's a pit bull. And they were, and I remember them coming to me being like, do we need to worry about him because he's a pit bull? And I said, I don't see anything that we need to worry about yet. You know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but there's nothing that I'm like, holy shit, this dog's a pit bull. And they were like, okay. And, you know, I had to have that conversation with them of like, you just, you don't know with a puppy, it, you know, yeah, there's some things about pit bulls, but by default, we don't need to worry. And so when he started doing that, I think it just, you know, all those things came together and so they wanted to rehome him and I was like, I'll take him and I'll find him a new home and I'll help you out. And they actually got cold feet and changed their mind once. And then they did it. They said it again. And they were like, come get him right now. Because we're going to change our mind again. And so I drove over and I got him. So that was at six months old. And he's great. He's the first dog I ever raised as a puppy for myself. The first dog I ever took all the way through adolescence and into maturity and how I experienced how much they change in those yeah. first three years. And now he's almost six. Um, and he's a really great dog. So those were the dogs that I had for the first little chunk of being a dog trainer. And I learned a ton about them. um, Or a ton from them. And then I had a dog named Atticus that was also a client dog that I owned him for two years. And I actually rehomed him because he was too easy. Um, That was probably two years ago that I rehomed him now. Um, I just like, he was such a nice dog. And you don't, you just really don't need to be here. <laughs> you know, like, someone else can take advantage yeah, of you. Yeah, right. I was like, you could bring, like, when I looked at him, I was like, yeah, you're a nice dog, but there wasn't this connection of, like, you're my dog. Um, past the novelty of having a new dog in my house, I didn't bond with him in the same way. And so I was like, somebody else would be so lucky to have such an easy dog. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for this dog to be here. I'm just, you know, taking someone's dog. And it was actually, the guy I was dating before Kyle, my now boyfriend who adopted him and he knew him and I, he, his dog is great, but his dog's temperament is just a little bit more finicky as far as introducing another dog into the household. And Atticus was great with dogs. And those dogs had met before. I already knew Brian's whole lifestyle cause we dated for six months. And so I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. perfect. Um, so he went to go live with Brian and I haven't had I mean, I don't get updates very often because it's my ex-boyfriend. Um, but it's kind of a no news is good news kind of deal. Yep. So that was Atticus. While I had Atticus, I also got Kamikaze, who's my first dog from a breeder. My f- first German Shepherd. My first, my second puppy. And my first dog um, that I had, like, real goals for. Yep. And what were some of those goals? Uh, I really wanted to do protection sports with her. Um, and so we did title her uh, I got her BH last fall. Um, I decided that I don't really enjoy those sports as much as I thought I would anymore. I still have a ton of respect for them, but I don't get the joy from training yeah, for them. For like sure. I thought I would. Um, and so, uh, I also wanted to do like a little of everything with that dog. And, and now I'm just kind of not a sport person anymore. Um, so that was Kazi. Then I got Bauer. Bauer is my yacht terrier. Um, and then I, and I've learned a shit ton of, from that dog. <laughs> um, I could do a whole episode just about that dog. And we should, we should. And then <laughs> I did, um, then I did have a dog named seven. She was another dog that I adopted from a rescue that I, I knew that rescue really well. Um, and they posted her on her, on their Facebook. And I was like, that dog looks cool. I want to meet her she was really cool um I had seen many many videos of her doing play groups with dogs at uh the shelter I had a friend that volunteered there had met the dog had recorded videos of the dog and put them on YouTube I probably saw 15 different videos and they all had different dogs in the videos so there's probably you know 30 or more different dogs that I had seen this dog interact with in these videos and I was shocked that she was so neutral with dogs. And I was like, that's great because she is not, she doesn't have the look of a dog that I would think would be good with other dogs. Um, and so I adopted her. I had her for three months. And she, 
we didn't bond in the way that I expected to. And in the beginning, when I first met her, I just thought she was aloof. But there was something, there was just some kind of disconnect with her. Um, and I was never afraid of her, but there was definitely something about her that made me just be a little more cautious. Yep. Like, I didn't like to play with her when she was too hyped up. I was very cautious with toy play because I didn't want to, you know, I was very cautious with food around her. Like, there was just a lot of, there's nothing that I could really put my finger on, but there was just an overall vibe of being cautious with that dog. Yeah. Um, she had did mostly okay with all my dogs. There were some little things that I didn't love, so I watched very closely. Um, she scuffled with Kamikaze. Kazi was like a year and a half at the time, I think, over a ball in the backyard. And I was like, "That's we just don't need to push that button. And so I kept them separate for pretty much the whole time that I had seven after that. Um, and I had been crating and rotating for a while at that point um, because I also had Bauer. And Bauer and the other dogs, I didn't have him out with them at all. And... I don't fuck up my crate and rotates. Like, I do not. That is something that I have, ne like, up until this point, I had never screwed up a crate and rotate. And there was one day, I was standing in my basement, I had let all the dogs out, and all of a sudden I was like, oh my god, all the dogs are out in the backyard. And I ran up there, and Seven and Kazi were out in the backyard together with all the other dogs, not Bauer, um, and nothing happened. And so I quit while we were ahead, called everybody in, put them away. And then uh, either the next day or a couple days later, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this on purpose because I think they're over it now. I think they can be, and Kazi got along fine with everybody. Seven got along fine with everybody. They were the only two that couldn't be together. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I put them out in the backyard. Seven and all the other dogs went out first. And then I let Kazi out and then I ran up to the, to the yard. They were in the basement. So I had to run up, go outside and seven was pooping. And she was kind of eyeballing Kazi, and Kazi ran to the back of the yard and was saying hi to all the other dogs. And as soon as Seven was finished, she beelined to Kazi and grabbed her. And I've had plenty of scuffles in my household mm -hmm. just for dumb stuff. You know, when Ollie was young, he would just get ticked off for dumb stuff, yep. resource guarding. But nobody ever went to the vet. Everybody was pretty easy to pull apart. No one tried to go back at it. And that's not what happened with Seven. When Seven went after Kazi, she really wanted her. There was, that was, um, that was aggression. And so, Kamikaze did have to go to the emergency vet and got some stitches. Seven did get some injuries around her eye because that's all that's all Kazi could. She had Kazi by the ear, by the head. And that's all Kazi could get was just to scrape up her eyeball and try to get away. And so Seven needed medical attention. And so normally, like with Finn, I gave myself a week. Between the time I made the decision to the day that I actually had the appointment, I gave myself a week to make sure I felt right about it. Yep. Seven, I didn't have that time because I would have had to get her fixed right, up. Right, right. And then possibly put her down. And so I had to make the decision pretty quick. And so I let her be injured for a night and I put her down the next day. Um, and that is one, I will say, I have way more what-ifs with Seven than I do with Finn. Yep. Because it happened so quickly. Yep. And it wasn't what I expected. Like, with Finn, I took him in from being put down. So two years later, when it came full circle, it's I was like... like he was going to be put down earlier anyway. Yeah, like, okay, well, maybe I needed, you know, maybe I just pushed it out two yep. years. But it, it was going to happen either way. With yep. Seven, it was like, this was apparently a normal dog. All the information we had was that she was a normal dog. Yep. And it was, it suddenly became not true. Um, I still stand by my decision. Uh, she was too strong. I didn't feel comfortable. And just knowing how badly she really wanted to go after Kamikaze. Like, yeah. I am experienced in, in evaluating situations like that. So I know that I made the right decision, but that is one that... that I learned, I just have a lot. And from both of those, I learned a lot on how to support clients through that and right. how to evaluate if that's where we need to be. Um, if that's the decision that needs to be made. Um, so I was seven. And then what was it very kind of interesting about that was before I got seven, I met Cade and Cade was a client dog. I met him when he was four months old and I just had this moment when I met him, he was so bad. He was just such a bad puppy, but I liked him. 
and I had this moment of like, this dog's going to end up mine. <laughs> and I was like, don't put it in the universe. Don't put it in the universe. Cause I said <laughs> the same thing about Ollie and he did become mine. <laughs> and then he was doing really well. Cade was doing really well at home and doing well with the training that we were doing. And so I kind of like wrote him off. Okay. That's not my dog. Not that I would ever like manipulate somebody into giving yeah, me their dog, sure. but like, sure. you just, you, you bond with them differently when you start thinking like that. And then it just, it, you, you in your own head start acting funny. Um, and so I just, I like, okay, good. He's settled. I don't have to worry about him. And I adopted seven. The day I was sitting, the night I was sitting in the emergency vet with Kamikaze and I had made the decision that I was going to put seven down the next day, I got an email from Cade's owners saying that they needed to rehome him. And I was like, well, that's funny timing. <laughs> and so he was doing really well. He came to our structured daycare program and was doing great there. Um, but when we hit covid and had to shut down our business and he didn't have that structure for they sure couldn't replicate that structure at home yep. well um not because they're bad dog owners they just were not prepared they're not yeah they're not the type of people that can do that they don't yeah. want to have to do that yep great people great dog owners just not for aggressive dogs and so he was eight months at the time and i had seen him make so much progress if he was an adult dog behaving the way that he was at his, his owner's home I probably would have suggested euthanasia because it was pretty severe, but he was young. I knew him really well. And I was like, well, at the very least, let me give him an environment and change. Let me throw some more structure at him. Let him grow up a little bit. Worst case scenario, I come back to the same conclusion, but I can shoulder the weight of making that decision. You know, they would know. I would let them know. Yeah. They would have the opportunity to say, no, just kidding. We want him back. I would support them how, you know, if I felt like that was safe, I would have supported them. Yeah. Um, and they would have been sad, very sad, but it would be a completely different experience for them than if they had to do it themselves. Yeah. So I was like, at the very least I can shoulder that weight and he's been great. So that was after between, after Bauer and after seven, I got Kate at the same time I had started dating Kyle. And so I inherited cash or wear hair through that relationship um, no, I forgot about Biggie. Biggie was in there. I thought he was maybe just coming next. No, he was before he, cause I had Biggie when I moved in with Kyle. Biggie came during seven. Bef after Bauer, before I put seven down. Okay. I had Biggie and Biggie is a half brother to Kamikaze. He was purchased by a friend of mine, Brooke. Brooke had some situations changed that some curveballs thrown at her and having a puppy was not the right time. Yeah. And so the three of us, me, Brooke, and the breeder decided that Biggie could stay with me. And so I have Biggie, um, and he will be three in October. Um, and I also wanted to do Schutzen with him. Um, but he's just not, he just doesn't really have it. And at the same time, <laughs> I realized I don't really care that much about it anymore. Yeah. Both my dogs are, like, good enough that if I really wanted to try, like, if I was really dedicated to the sport, I could do well with those dogs. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do fantastically with those dogs. Right. So the fact that, like, I'm not as motivated and they're not super great, I just don't care anymore. Just don't do it. If they were, like, amazing dogs, I think I would be way more passionate about it. Like, yeah. if it came easier to them. Yeah. I would be way more passionate about it, but I just don't like, they're not, they're not going to be fantastic. And it's a highly competitive environment. Right. And very, very political and very, very intense. The people are not always very friendly. I'm like, don't really care that much anymore. Yeah. So now they get to be farm dogs and they love that. And we play around, um, you know, they still work really hard in, in training just to be really, really, really good pet dogs. Yeah. And I work them around my client dogs all the time. So like their obedience is fantastic so that they can be my neutral dogs, even though they're not, they are trained neutral. They're not like truly neutral temperament wise. Right. Kazi is a little bit, Biggie's still young, but you know, they'd still throw down if they, if they had the opportunity to, but they just are, they're very obedient. They're always under control. And through that, they have learned neutrality. For sure. So then we got, so then Cade, and then inherited cash before Cade, 
after Biggie. And then Kyle got Easy, our English setter. And that is his field trial dog. Yep. So I've changed in my many years. I've owned, th- I've owned 12 dogs of my own since I got Amos. And every single one of them brought something different For sure. to the table and moved me in a direction that I don't think I ever would have gotten to if yep. I didn't have that dog. Yep. And you're able to understand a lot of client situations because you've had a lot of different yep. situations yourself. And I understand drive and aggression yep. in a different way because I have lived with unstable aggressive mixed breed dogs yep. and I've lived with stable aggressive purebred dogs yep. you know like Bauer is supposed to be aggressive in the way that he is Kamikaze and Biggie are supposed to be for the most part yep. aggressive in the way that they are um, I understand like possession because of those dogs yep. because that prey drive is so intense in both of those um, but then I also understand prey drive in a different way because I have bird dogs now. Um, so I, I say all the time and I, I stand by it. I would not be the trainer that I am today. I would not have advanced as quickly as I did through my experience if I didn't own every single one of those dogs. For sure. So when did, how did you go or when and how did you go from a new lease to common ground? Canada? Oh yeah. So then COVID hit, um, March 2020, like mid-March, right after my birthday, we closed our facility like a week early. Like we didn't really know what to expect. It had just, everybody had started buzzing about it and we were like, maybe we should. It seems like people are closing. Maybe we should. Yeah. And so I was dating Kyle. Kyle lives up here in Rush City. Um, And he was like, well, and he lives, or he works in the city. So he worked actually 10 minutes away from where I used to live in Columbia Heights. And, um, he was like, well, come, we had just started dating. We were only a month into dating. He said, well, come up here. You can quarantine up here. He still had to go to work. He was essential. And so, um, I was like, seriously, like me and all the dogs. And he was like, whether (laughs) it's me and you and all the dogs at your house or me and you and all the dogs at my house, it doesn't really change my situation very much. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And so I brought all the dogs up there and one week turned into two weeks, turned into three weeks, turned into four months. And we had just started the last, the final year, the third year on our contract with our, our landlord. Yeah. And we hated like having that facility was such a burden. It was so expensive to live there. For sure. Work there. I'll have that space. And, um, I was married previously when we started that business and shortly after we got that facility got divorced and so I also was all of a sudden solely financially responsible for myself and my house and all my stuff and and the facility and all the dogs and the whole facility and it just it started off really fun like the first year of having that facility was super fun and we were all hyped up about what we were going to make it into and all our goals and the second year just sucked and we were burnt out but we couldn't stop working we had gotten behind in our rent because it was so ungodly expensive to be there it was such a dumb decision that I made to move us into that facility and um we we were sitting and thinking oh and also Mary's mom passed away very unexpectedly Mm. in February Mm. right before COVID and so we knew we had one year left and we would sit, we were doing our structured daycare program at the time and we'd sit on the floor and we would daydream about what our lives would look like when we didn't have that facility. Wow. And she would move back home to be with her family. Um, Her dad had some land that she was thinking about maybe turning into a boarding situation. And and we both kind of agreed that we wanted a a very simple life. Like we had overdone it with this facility. We wanted a break. And I remember saying like, maybe Kyle will like me enough to let me move in with him someday. (laughs) And like, it was such a fresh relationship. And so we closed for COVID, you know, took our couple weeks off. Um, I, you know, started doing board and trains to supplement income and all that. And when it became apparent that we were not going day by day anymore or week by week anymore, but month by month as far as the statewide shutdowns and all that. Yeah. We were like, we're 
we got to get out of this. Like, this is not working. Yeah. And she really, really wanted to move home because her mom had just passed and she really felt drawn. Like, she has no family here. She's all from, everybody's in Buffalo still. And so she really wanted to go home. And the only thing really holding her back here was the business. And so we were behind on rent and digging ourselves a hole because we couldn't work. And so we went to our landlords and we were like, we are not going to come out of this. You know, could we have hustled and figured it out? Like if we were able to open back up again? Absolutely. But we were like, this is going to be how we get out of this lease and we move on. And so we said, we're not going to recover from this. Is there any way we can end our lease now and move on? And they said yes because they knew they weren't going to get paid. Yeah, for sure. Um, not because we wouldn't have paid them, but we weren't able to work. And so they they said as soon as we find somebody to take over and we'll sign it that we'll sign a new lease, then you can leave. And so it took from uh, I think we kind of made that decision in June of that year. Around then, maybe a little, maybe more, more like May, and it took until September for them to find somebody to move in and then you know then they were kind they cut us a deal and said if you give us you know x amount we'll write off the rest of your your debt so it worked out yeah really well for both of us mary moved back home i got to stay up here i didn't have to worry about being down in the the cities um it did take me a a while to bite the bullet on selling my house because the relationship i was in was still so new technically and i moved in with him after a month but I sold my house April of 2021, um, and I officially moved back up here for real October of 2020, and then sold my house in April. Um, but when Mary moved, we had kind of, both of us had outgrown a new leash in the branding and the message, and um, I was really becoming more of a balance trainer yeah and she was always open to it but she is much her type of dog is very different than my type of dog her type of handling is very different the way that she she forms relationships with dogs is very different um than how I do and and so it was the right thing when we had started a new leash all of that but it I just didn't feel like I connected with that brand anymore yeah um and she wasn't a part of it anymore so it just felt kind of strange to continue that business without her. Um, and I also just kind of wanted to like, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> like, you know, like I wanted to be like so simple. Yeah. I wanted to like totally just redo shut down it. everything yep. because it was such a horrible time when I had that facility that I wanted to like, please don't hire me for a while because I needed time to recuperate. Yeah. And so starting over and not being a new leash anymore slowed down the client uh, inquiries. For sure. Which is exactly what I wanted. And so Common Ground feels way more like me. And in fact, Common Ground is one of the names that we threw around as an idea when we were starting a new leash because it always felt right. Um, But there's a couple coffee shops in Minneapolis. There's Uncommon Roots. And then there's, or no, Uncommon Grounds and common roots are two different and people will frequently mix them up yeah and call it common grounds and so we were like we can't do that because Minneapolis has these already and I was like well I'm not in Minneapolis anymore and I I don't think it sounds like coffee if you say common ground um common grounds I think sounds like a coffee shop but common ground works um and just, like, the color scheme, the branding, the fonts, like, all of that feels way more like me yeah. now, just a little bit darker and edgier. Everything for a new leash was, like, happy and pastel. And it's not that I'm not a happy person, but I'm yeah, just, like, not, just like, changed. A, I'm not a pastel-y kind of person. Um, and so, and even Common Ground has changed a lot in the last two years as I settle into this brand. Um, but that was the main reason why I changed from that business so now now it will be common ground probably forever hopefully yep but yeah three businesses in in seven years for that and now you're here yep but I do think that in the last two years of being up here and becoming a balance trainer I do think that this is when I finally found myself 
is like who am I as a dog trainer what do I stand for what are things like that are uniquely me and I don't I don't feel like I'm just recycling things that I've learned in books and videos anymore it's like your own stuff yep like this is me and and that's why like I had this podcast I had a podcast with Mary many years ago before we were even before we even created a new leash we had a podcast called off the leash Mm. And people really liked it. And a lot of people that follow me today still found me initially from that podcast. Um, And we really enjoyed it. But we kind of got to a point because we were still growing as who we were as people and who we were as a business. And we got to a point where we were like, what did we even say in our first episode? Because we don't know if we agree with that anymore. (laughs) And so we quit. And, And we also just like, it got to be a lot of work. Yeah. And we spent so much time together in... I talk so much and Mary doesn't talk a whole lot and so she would listen to me talk for an hour in the episode and then have to go edit it and listen Listen to us talk talk again even more and she just didn't enjoy that so um we stopped the podcast and part of the reason why I brought this podcast back was because I finally feel like I have like I I actually am me now and I have things that are uniquely me yep and I feel a little silly about it because everyone and their mom has a podcast, but I don't really care. Not everyone and their mom is you. True. And, you know, that's why I'm doing the, the two-day seminar next month, July 30th and 31st, um, because I finally feel like, you know, I've done seminars in the past, a little, like, one-day, couple-hour deal on single yep. topics. Um, I even tried to put up a two-day event a few years ago, had nobody signed up, Um but I wasn't interesting then. Yeah. Like there was, I was just a dog trainer recycling the same stuff that all the other dog trainers were saying. Yeah. And now I've learned from all that and created my own style with it. And I finally have like something to deliver it in the form of a seminar. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually like really pleasantly surprised at how many, we're going to get cut off soon. It cuts off in an hour. Well, good. I was going to cut you off in an hour anyways. Okay. We're try- I'm trying to keep her shorter with these episodes. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. I'm staying under two hours at least. It needs to be under one hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there then because we have 15 seconds before we get cut off. And it leaves people wanting more. And they'll there come back and listen to the rest. Perfect. Look, it turns red. It's counting down. All right. The end. I'll record an outro later. Bye. Well, that's that. We made it in under an hour, just under, maybe exactly an hour. Um, I mentioned my seminar and I should say more things about that in case you're interested. So I've got this two-day seminar event coming up July 30th and 31st, and that takes place in Harris, Minnesota. There are still spots available. Um, I'm doing it differently than how working in auditing spots usually work for a seminar, Um, Basically, everybody is an auditing spot, but I want you to bring your dogs um, and tell me about your dogs if you are willing to get your dog out and work them in front of the group. Um, You certainly don't have to, um, but when you register, you tell me about your dog, and as I'm putting uh, my plan together and and thinking about the important things that I want to tell everyone... I will be referencing this list of dogs that I have available to me and pulling out dogs that will best uh, demonstrate the things that I want to share. And it's better this way. For one, everybody gets to pay the same price. There's no price difference between an auditing and a working spot. So that way, uh, the chances of you being able to work are higher and it's not just who can afford it and who can't. but also the information that you'll get about your dog will be specific to your dog because your dog will have been chosen for that segment of the seminar. And then everybody watching gets to see exactly what they should see. And the dogs get to come out and work for exactly the amount of time that they should. If they don't need a lot, they get a a few minutes and they get to take a break. If they need more we can dive into that and give them exactly what they need so there's no pressure to fill um, an expectation that someone has because they paid more money for a working spot however 
the second day of the seminar. So first day is all lecture and seminar, uh, demonstrations and all that. The second day is all working. So if you've been following me, you've probably seen my group training that I have. The second day of the seminar will be like a giant group training day. Um, it's not a group class. All the dogs aren't going to be out at the same time. Um, it'll just be like a big club style training day. So your dog has a chance of being worked on day one, and there's a high chance that all the dogs will come out um, for at least a little bit. And on the second day, you're guaranteed working time. So I want you to bring your dogs. Um, I understand if you can't, if you're traveling and you're not able to, um, or maybe you don't have a dog that's right for attending a seminar. But, and if you're not sure if you are free to ask, please tell me everything about your dog and I can help you decide. But the cost for both days is $100. If you bring additional dogs that you want to work, that cost uh, covers one dog. If you bring additional dogs that you want to work on the second day, the cost is $55 for an additional dog. Um, but it's going to be a really fun event. I'm really looking forward to it. I've got people coming from all over the place, out of state, um, internet friends that I am excited to meet in person. And the whole point is just to give you the whole common ground canine experience, what, who I am as a dog trainer and the things that I think are important to teach all of you. Um, it'll cover everything. It's not just one specific topic. It's going to cover everything that I think you need to know about dog training and about dog raising and about me and my philosophies. Um, and it'll just be really cool. So if you would like to sign up for that, there is a page on my website for that under the events tab. And you can also just shoot me an email or shoot me a DM on Instagram and I can send you that link too if you can't find it. Um, I hope you can come. It'll be a blast. I'm really looking forward to it.